0: Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human, or should I say, ahoy there, Mahatis! I have two of Britain's finest pirates with us, uh, Sam Conniff and Alex Barker. Now, Sam's been a previous guest on the show, uh, author of Be More Pirate, wonderful book, really enjoyed that episode. But today joining us is a new member of the crew, Alex, uh, who is the co-author of the, of the second book in the series, How to Be more pirates. So, Sam and Alex, welcome to the show. Thank Thanks you very much. Lovely to be back.
1: Mm,
0: thank you. So, let's. Um, yes, sir, I think start with Alex and pick up the story of how you came to join uh, the 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 pirate crew and uh, and yeah, the genesis of this second book.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so, I joined. I started working with Sam in January um yeah january twenty nineteen so coming getting on for two years now and i'd I, I was actually um on a sabbatical from my previous job i'd sort of i don't know had one of many quarter life midlifey crises <laughs> where I had gotten really really sort of burnt out and a bit fed up um you know was actually thinking of changing direction altogether um And through a sort of series of coincidences found Be More Pirate, I actually downloaded um, the first chapter onto my Kindle along with, as I said, say in the book, like many, many chapters of first books. I was like, I need to find something to orientate me, but I don't know what it is. And I actually put it down, Be More Pirate, because I thought, I want something that's going to feel empowering, but it was too much about social change and changing the world. And I'd, I'd in my head gone, that doesn't work. Like nothing's changing anytime soon. So I yeah I I didn't I didn't really get into it to begin with and then picked it back up actually when I saw Sam advertise um for a right hand pirate because at that point actually probably just circumstantially I was starting to run out of money <laughs> and was like okay what am I going to do um and you know I I probably can not you know rested a bit more so I I could really I could think a bit more clearly and a friend had forwarded it to me and said you know this is this really looks up like your street and um, yeah so I and as I read it through I was like wow this would really help me to put my skills that I'd learnt in my previous job into um, to good use but do it in an entirely different way like I was really looking for something that was not um, establishment not that would give me autonomy and um, yeah level of self-direction but fundamentally I did sort of want to come back to this idea of social change or system change and Um, because that was really what I cared about fundamentally. And, yeah, so I came back interviewed with Sam. I think we clicked pretty quickly and kind of got on this adventure. And he just, (laughs) you know, we we had a sort of good chat about what this all meant and realised it really was going to be really open um, for me to to understand and direct myself. Um, He just had a a really big folder of emails from people all over the world who'd said, this this idea, this spirit of piracy is what we need. And I'm doing something about it personally. I've quit my job. I've started a rebellion in my company. What, what next, what do I do? Can I talk to other people, you know? And that was the idea of forming a community around Be More Pirate and network. And really for me to dig into the insights that people, you know, find out what people were really doing, what aspects of the book they were actually applying. Because at this point, I was still quite sceptical. I was like, there are a lot of business books. There are a lot of, um, you know, good theoretical ideas. Um, So what's actually applicable? Um, What's doable for people? And what is it about this piracy idea that makes people feel um, that they can? So that was, yeah, so that's sort of where I picked up from.
0: Right. Right. And what did you see in Alex, Sam, as a, as a
2: right-hand papyrus? Um, Alex, it was an excellent uh, lineup of people. And there was an interesting observation, actually, by offering something that was really flexible. And we, I think we, I copied and pasted some of the job description into the new book uh, so you can read it. But, you know, I was interested to see how, you know, with such talk about flexibility, people were willing to be flexible. So literally I said... There are no hours or fixed terms or anything whatsoever. It would be entirely up to you, as long as we meet these few criteria. One of which being we connect weekly, uh, and the other being you know we we set out to change the world and nothing less. And what it meant was that I got an incredibly high caliber of very senior uh, professionals, uh, a large number of them women re-entering like the workplace possibly after maternity. So you know the, the kind of like level of experience, I, marketing directors of you know household brands. I I wouldn't have, have thought of who. You know, would have traded the the salary of their you know, past for the level of flexibility. So there was there was just an interesting observation about being very very overt that there was autonomy and flexibility here. Um, and I think in response to that, a lot of people were like, "Yep, yeah, great." And then where I'd gone in retrospect, and Alex showed me a bit wrong was in this kind of changing the world. I'd put some criteria on it, which were reflective of the old world. I was like, well, we have to make it a global community. And everyone's like, yep, great. Here's how we do that. And Alex sat there and said, why? If the point is to change the world, why are you inflicting this measurement of scale when you yourself, like there's nothing worse than being quoted your own shit back at you, right? And uh, (laughs) you know, when you yourself yourself, have said scale is the problem, why are you making scale the answer? And that was the sort of challenge that I was looking for um, because another part of the brief was not to let me disappear up my own ass, like the, the world of becoming an author and the independence of it and the kind of travel and you know being on stage and all of that was a whole new world for me, which was filled with with kind of fear. And it was fucking fantastic. Um, and it's exactly that that kind of scrutiny and that honesty and. Uh, and and there, therein lies the spirit of true partnership. And that's kind of what I, I knew. I both knew I was looking for and didn't know I was looking for. And, and I found it there and then. And, and that kind of questioning and inquiry is, is maintained the same of us right up until this morning. And the email threads that we on, you know, continuing to challenge the best out of each other. Um, and after and having to apologize, have you? Sorry, I didn't mean that to be And it's great. You know, it's one of the few relationships that is con- consistently like that. And that is a spirit of piracy, you know, frank, fearlessness and fairness.
0: Right, right,
2: and Alex, to what extent do you feel you've prevented
0: Sam from t- disappearing up his own arse? <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> i i th- I think I have, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't really think that. that he runs that big a risk genuinely um he i you know to 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 throw some compliments back, you know i i I know the difference between a real leader and not a real leader I'd say that pretty much most of my experience of management to date had been egotistical um rigid uh and Sam just exhibits entirely different qualities and actually it was quite confusing to me in many ways and that's I suppose that's the you must hear this a lot on your podcast like the rub that you get when you are trying to change to a new way of doing or being um, the paradigm shift that we need to experience comes with so much uncomfortability because I couldn't, un- I couldn't at first understand um, how to orientate myself around our different ways of doing things or what I'd been taught, how I'd been taught to do things, and also Sam's kind of intelligence is was different to the kind of um, almost like institutional intelligence that I'd gotten used to, which was, which is. I don't know, more formulaic somehow. And um, yeah, so <laughs> I think, but I've, I sort of learned to, to appreciate it differently. Um, and yeah, I think we definitely have engendered a, a different and good way of working. And the, the biggest challenge is probably, and still is, the, where I need to be realistic. And Sam is always ambitious. And I, I want to be ambitious too. And I think we are, but Um, We also need to just strike that balance all the time between really, um, you know, embodying that that big idea of be more pirate whilst also being realistic about where we are as human beings um, on many levels. So. Yeah, and I would say also on the scale point, you know, I was I was that came from like I was I literally come from a play from a situation where you know growing a network was the measure of success and the only measure and it was the almost the reason i left was it missed all the relationship that's so that's so important in a network where you what you're really there to do is create connections with people what else you know and so yeah that was why i came in and said you know i cannot do another kind of grow a newsletter you know that that vanity metric of impact of our newsletter was re- you know was opened by Ten thousand people but you know you're not really having the connection with those people just was so frustrating
0: that's interesting i sometimes feel it fall into that trap with this podcast right you just you, you focus on the, the numbers and are you really changing people's lives there's actually a, a story in the book about um mercedes vans which talks to that point right is that worth yeah. diving into just to sort of illustrate that idea of connection versus scales but in this case in marketing that we're talking to.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think they all do. And in a way, the story of us and the story of Alex does is kind of touched on there. And And even you've admitted it, it is human to aspire to the quantifiable and outwardly recognizable measures of success because we want to be seen as success by our peers, right? And the world generally likes a big number. And if we can hit big numbers, then the world likes us and we like ourselves because the world likes, you know, and we're so attuned to that. The other one is way more difficult. And in that moment, like that big folder of um, emails was partly there because I didn't feel I could live up to it. And I think we touched on this last time, like I really couldn't believe that people were taking these big life-changing decisions based on something I felt like I'd made up, but also because my life was in a a period of turbulence where I'd slightly lost my own confidence of this stuff. And and so I needed the verification and, and validation of someone who seemed much smarter than me with that kind of academic and, you know, the, the, the rigor. And, and this is, you know, I think been a constant uh, shift and it's a constant shift of people who come to the material and decide to be pirate. And you see Alex, as as you read the material, Alex writes the vast majority of the book. And this journey of becoming a pirate from someone who feels relatively institutionalized is the best thing. And we've said this and it can sound a bit hackneyed. The biggest rebellion anyone seems to make is the one against their own self-imposed limitations, and all those limitations mm. come from these external measures. And this is what I need to look and feel like, and all the rest of it, and to like challenge those. And for you to know that this podcast is about the lives that get changed, and not the viewer reader numbers that you get, and us all of us to avoid those kind of trappings. Oh. And the Mercedes one, yes, absolutely. The
1: well, I don't. Four,
2: I think Alex was just going to come in there. So, oh, go on, Alex. Sorry,
1: no, I was just going to go, but Mercedes, Sam. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Back. I know, no, I just—I uh, oh, know we're sort
2: of diving yeah. straight into a story from the book. Okay. <laughs>
1: right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I could answer the question, but that wasn't what I was thinking about. um Just because I know, just because we were there, t- touching on the thing that I think is really difficult for lots of people,
3: yeah
2: and we see it in lots of people. Like, I—I I quite like this, but I just don't think that's really me. And uh, and it's just because we were saying in the pre-chat before this, why why is the podcast entitled what it is? And those moments of humanity like freedom being able to speak your mind you know uh, escaping from the vanity metrics like those i think are moments when we really feel human and there's a relationship Mm. between being pirate and being human i think (laughs) anyway mercedes right um so there was this wonderful marketing director there who's undoubtedly a pirate she's always been a pirate and she saw me do a talk and she's like we've got to get you involved um mercedes-benz vans is a Weirdly, for the brand as big as it is, they they don't necessarily outspend their biggest rivals, um, like the Fords and the Volkswagens, but they have this this, this fantastic performing vehicle. And they've got these incredible values as a team. So once they explained to me who they really were and what they stood for, small business, I was like, yeah, you know, this is great. I'd love to help. Um, and what we discussed, we ran some big internal sessions. The whole team were ready to go pirate and rogue and really break out of the mold. And what ended up happening was rather than continue to invest millions in outdoor and TV and compete against the others on, on the same field, this really brilliant bunch there and and you know namely a woman called Rebecca Barclay, who just so got behind this, they began to invest on a grassroots level behind communities of SMEs, like niche communities, like you know, uh people with from specific bme backgrounds who otherwise you know didn't get that kind of support you know women's enterprise networks as well as national enterprise networks so going in investing in grassroots social enterprise and enterprise initiatives to listen to them and then try and give back something that was going to be useful to them that's pretty hard for a brand that big to do to really go like down to a grassroots level and they did they invested in Like Impact Hub, Enterprise Nation, some pretty small, difficult things for them to engage, right? You know, not the usual things without a media agency and all the normal workings that a brand gets trapped into. And with a long-term belief in community and building a crew, all the stuff that you see in the the book that's so important. And as a result, what happened was as we hit a pandemic and, you know, vehicle sales obviously went through the floor, as did many businesses really falter, this business that had become quite pirate in its mindset within a matter of weeks, was able to mobilize a scheme which was free loans so vans that were sitting dormant on forecourts free loans to businesses that had to close their doors but could continue trading if they could move to a delivery model and we saw so many interesting and innovative stories but you know we uh, like candle and fragrance companies suddenly being able to deliver and then bringing like home goods and then bringing like and then switching their business model because they could literally stay on the road and at the same time Mercedes were really pushing and, and, and leading on like, kind of evans and what they were going to do from an electronic and sustainable point of view just phenomenal and they managed to get every dealership in the country behind them so this sudden scheme was there for businesses you know and and you can't do that through a billboard and you can't do that if you've been inauthentic in the in the lead up to it so yeah i'm really i'm really proud to have seen such effects and and bravery really from a business which culturally is very much centrally controlled from a Düsseldorf outset with which has tight controls over its brand which is what maintains the brand to be successful so to bend the rules in that environment takes a lot and yeah and to see that result particularly in that difficult moment for so many businesses also felt like a real pirate win
3: mm.
1: that that last bit is you know doesn't make it into the book but that was really the impact that was happening during covid and lockdown um seeing that 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 shift in their mindset it did really ena- enable them to move quite quickly and and you know, they knew what kind of impact they wanted to have really quickly. But I think the things that struck me about the Mercedes story, um, one of them being that, the, you know, this idea of. Um, proximity and and why you get bad rules or norms and yeah rules and norms across a business is because the people who are making those decisions are too far away from the source of what of of information let's say and then that's touched on in lots of different management books and things anyway but i've seen it across like all the sec- all sectors and what they were doing by going and spending time with entrepreneurship you know entrepreneurs and small businesses and listening to them you gain an entirely different set of um of insights than you can ever get from data because it's person to person and and then you and then you have this belief you're like i know what i am talking about and that's what um nicola could then take into meetings with management this sort of self-assurance and belief that I know this is what they need and I am representing the customers not just you know that the, you close the gap um between this you know the the need and the and the, the deliverer so um and I and I guess that's just a general theme that I that I we I try to bring into all of our workshops and things because we we don't really make the effort to sort of go out of the office or go out of our um you know uh, out of our normal environments for understanding problems when actually we should be going into communities into care homes and or even just r- kind of random settings and like betting shops I don't know places where you just wouldn't go and and then you under you gain an, another kind of level of insight um I guess that's part of the pirate like treading over you know going off the edges of the map, going into un- unknown territory um it will bring you something quite different to your yeah your leadership
2: and this joins the dots on those points I suppose because the first thing Rebecca Nicola and I did after the first sessions we ran was we got in a van and went to customers who bought vans and like spoke to them on a rainy day in Wolverhampton and and some other places in the middle of the country and even though that seems pretty straightforward the majority of brands are so caught up between the data the spreadsheet the media agency the insight report and all this kind of like stuff which doesn't isn't without value but when you separate instinct, professional judgment, who you are as a human being and your ability to interact, we sat there and the insights we got informed everything. So those simple reminders sometimes are, are, are the, biggest, the biggest thing, you know, and how, you know, Alex's hesitation at the beginning, nothing really changes. When you bring it back down to a human level, you realize where it does change. Because if you can just work with human beings, when you get mass of, of, of shift of opinion of human beings, then that's when things do change. Right, right.
0: And so I'm interested, Alex, you so said you talked about, you know, maybe being somewhat intimidated and, you know, in, in your first couple of meetings, what, and you've also talked about this inner struggle to to find your inner pirate or, yeah, what have been the moments for you along, along the way in working with Sam in terms of you finding yourself in discomfort, learning to try new things, you know, how have you evolved over this process?
1: Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I think that um, there's two things. There's there's just the ways of working in that. I, I sort of talk about it in the book a bit that we we started off, I guess, I guess Sam started off trying to officiate it a little bit, being like we're going to have some, you know, he's like writing an agenda for a meeting that we're going to have. But really all we ever did was just have a really long conversation because when you're just two of you and it's so fluid and you're trying to, un, you know, you're really... And there was so much interest. So it was working out what was impactful, what was interesting and what we wanted to focus, where we wanted to focus attention. Um, We needed to understand each other, actually. And again, the relationship was so foundational. And I've realized over time that that's really all we're trying to do here is I, everything falls down for us and we don't communicate, I'd say. And so that's so, all, and, and I, I guess for me also just um all of my working life to date has been predicated on documentation and the production of a thing because that's how most work is done it's like okay you're going to lead on this project I want to see something and actually writing anything down for us was a bit of a hindrance because I'd you know I'd get really tangled up with what does it sound like does it look right um and it just didn't it wasn't necessary things were moving so quickly that we we needed to let it go much quicker so that was one thing and I think that was just a, a, a really like a how like that's why the book's called a how to because i'm interested in how like um i needed to adjust that the the times when we had the most breakthroughs were just conversational and that stays with me like it stays with me more than anything i i'd written down in a notepad like the when we when we got to a level of excitement and momentum about what we were doing then we would we knew we would follow it through and then the other thing is a leadership thing because you know <laughs> i i'd come from being in an organization where i don't think that there was you know there was never real development for you as a there was there's not a lot of development for you as a person um you were more of a function and i didn't know what it was like to be developed as a human in that way and that sounds really sad and i'm sort of hesitant to say it out loud like that but um sam pushed me um, made me, st- you know, stand up in front of audiences, like from the get go. I mean, I think I had a willingness to as well. I wouldn't have, you know, he didn't force me. But as soon as there was appetite and he put so much trust in me and I'd, I'd not experienced trust from someone in a leadership position. I couldn't really understand it. I was like, what, like what, <laughs> what's going on? And so for me, it's been a, a, um, yeah, a real journey in that sense and I, and also the con you know as soon as you start talking about principles like being a pirate there is an impetus to live them I couldn't really go out there authentically talk about this stuff if I wasn't trying to live it and that's a practice it's something you have to continually sort of remind you know do on a week-to-week basis and <laughs> I don't always get that right but um I'm increasingly aware of it um and there were different, you know, there were different elements to that. I think Sam often talks about fun and joy, and that being such a key thing we have to hold on to and remember. Um. Yeah. So, did that answer the question? I think. Yeah, but um, I'm interested,
0: <laughs> so, so yeah, so being a pirate. So what? what yeah. Do you, Yeah, because other people listening <laughs> to this, might <like, laughs> trying to get the, Yeah, getting their yeah. head around. Well, how do I be? You know, obviously there's a lot in both books, but. Yeah, just to relate to others like what have you found hardest about being a pirate or following this code you've already talked about letting go of documentation and and just have it be about the conversations is there is there anything else that you've found you've had to let go of
1: um perfectionism I'd say um my entire conditioning of school and university um I had to reconcile the idea that doing important things in the world might mean not getting everything right all the time um and I feel that I've been you know valued and judged throughout all of my education and institutional experience on that and then having to switch and suddenly be like no you know I'm you know I sit now at their kind of helm of a huge network and community of people who you you know my my responsibility is to keep is to connect with them and to keep connections and keep the idea and the spirit of being More Pirate alive because I know how much it means to them. And I know how important and empowering it is for them on a day-to-day basis when they're really fighting kind of live battles and things at work. So if I, you know, I'm, you know, I think, I, you know, I said, I, and I'm like, God, you know, like the bigger picture is is big. Like, look at where the world is. And it hasn't got better since I started this journey. It's so, you know, I suppose that's what we talked about with the inner rebellion. It's like, I am constantly pushing back against a certain level of conditioning that I've had, um, uh, which, I'm te- uh, you know, gets tested all the time. Um, but every time you break through, it's, it's, it's really good. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> Could you think of a moment recently where you felt that breakthrough?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose what's what I was just saying now was like, yeah, finding, you know, that there are typos and things and, and just um that, you know, I parts that I know I could have done better. Um And feeling like I want to just, you know, my first instinct is like, I just want to give up. I want to, I just want to go. I, you know, if I can't do it perfectly, I, I, can't, I can't, I'm not doing it. And what kind of attitude, what kind of leadership is that? You know, that's not, that's not what I'd advise anyone else. Um it's definitely not we not what we need um in fact you know the sort of brushing under the carpet of mistakes and or oversights and things that you see in government is and that you know it would be infinitely better if there was an ability to own them and be more human about it um and just look for support to your network for how to get it better better to get it right next time so yeah, I think I I can just, I can more easily reorientate myself now back to a bigger picture Um, because I don't seem, there's so much more freedom in this Be More Pirate than there ever was in an organisation where you, you know, really your, uh, (laughs) your value is is predicated on that, you know, that annual appraisal. Like, do I, do I pass that? Do I not pass it? Do I get that promotion or not? Um, And rather than you know yeah the the bigger things that are going on um whether that's you know there I could cite lots of things but to do with environmental issues democracy um you know leadership all of these yeah sort of bigger things that you just hear whinged about all the time so yeah yeah
0: yeah and what I'm hearing as you share is something about vulnerability
1: Mm.
3: of
1: course yeah
0: yeah, no, I, I really hear that.
3: Um,
0: and and go on. Sorry, you're going to say
1: no. I just, I mean, yeah, that obviously somewhat comes from Brené Brown, but um I think it emerges organically. It was um the, but also I think you know in terms of like how to, which is the yeah the focus of the book is. I I just used to get so used to hearing words like oh we need transparency, oh we need trust, and blah blah blah. But I was like, but how do you how do you get there? because I'm not seeing any practices that are being put in place that support people to do those things. And so I want to know how, um, and you know, vulnerability is what leads to trust. Um, and so therefore you need interventions and practices that allow people to be a bit more vulnerable, um, and, uh, be and have more trust. And I actually, I listened to one of your other episodes with Amy Edmondson, um, um, obviously about, you know, we talk, we talk about in pirate terms about safe spaces that are also brave spaces. So you've got to be able to air your your opinions and things. But I think I find the frustration with that, and you know, no disrespect to her because she's uh, she's incredible and it's it's great work. But when you have a Harvard professor <laughs> talking to you about being human and being braver, you're like you're. It's literally being talked down to from the top of the pyramid. And so I'm more interested in how. I should have told her that. No, I mean, no, like, I think yeah, she's, she's totally right. But it's, um it's just for the, you know, I'm talking about, I don't want to say ordinary people, because that's patronizing. But mm. just, you know, the a person working in a job, because that's all I hear back, you know, when I'm talking to people in our network, like, they're like, it's hard. You know, you talk about, oh, create a safe and brave space to just say what you think. <laughs> you've got to, you've got to think of the interventions that will allow for that you know um and it's yeah so that's what i um that's what i'm interested in
3: yeah
0: okay and i suppose that sam's had somewhat created that space for you i'm right in within the on the ship (laughs) uh but so for people listening to that and maybe interested what are some of the interventions that you've seen work that allow for braver safer spaces in organizations?
1: Um I would say so um I put this into the crew context the idea of getting together a a group of 5 to 8 people maybe I mean it's dependent but let's say that that's a good number for a um for a small group to meet to you know start being pirate to create that. But the, the critical things that I observe are to make them informal. So don't try to make it like part of a meeting uh, or in some way make it informal. So um signal to people that this is going to be like a space, a different kind of space, whether you call it a fuck shit up meeting or whether you just decide to meet out of hours in the cafe. Um, you know, maybe make it an inspiring space. Like I take a lot from Priya Parker on that, like how you gather matters. So don't don't neglect. Don't think you can shoehorn it into like the end of like the usual team meeting because that sometimes happens. They're like, oh, we'll just make this a particular session, and you're so you're. Now so it's time for
0: fuck shit up.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and people are like, well, not really, because you know this is this is our usual our scheduled. You've got to find some way to di- yeah. to to sh- shape it differently. um using it as um a place to practice so that's something that's really important because people always say when we talk about small world actions and breaking a stupid rule people will always say okay we're going to challenge we're going to i'm going to ask some difficult questions i'm going to challenge more we're going to be more challenging like 100 and then you know you get into it, and and that's hard and people don't know how you know how to do it what to say um when when really as a i'd say i'm going to really generalize and say as a nation but we're not really. Good at articulating, I think, um, especially on the spot. I think that's one of the hardest things you can do is to stand up in a meeting and say your beliefs to somebody who's more senior than you. So you have to practice how that sounds and get a sounding board from your little crew, and, and they can say like, "You're going in a bit too hard there. I think it will be received like this," versus, "You know, that sa- that wasn't strong enough," um, or even if it's like an email that you you know you want to send, you can you share it with people. So I think that space for really practicing. Um don't underestimate it um i i think that's important um yeah, I'm trying to think of what are what are the other um kind of yeah i think also um kind of inviting in the resistance like bringing it to be um a focus uh, rather than pushing it away so that like going okay what what will be the the um the things that are likely to be um you know the challenge you know the challenging points if you're saying you're trying to I don't know launch a mutiny about something um even bringing someone in who's on the opposite side and saying can you come in and just say to us like what what is it here that you're going to object to so much and then you can really thrash out and you get so much better insights rather than just forming a group that is you know largely agrees with each other um so yeah uh but there are yeah there's a lot I guess there's a huge range from the smallest things you can do to um, having much bigger ambitions
0: yeah but that makes sense to me that just sort of wishfully hoping to create safer spaces within the existing structures you know may be naive and, and actually as you say create separate space at least, at least to begin with to practice yeah, that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah and like and I really love all this new kind of self-management talk and stuff but I just think that most organizations are not in that space yet um, at least from Sam and mine's experience, Sam contradict me if you think that's untrue, but most of the time people are coming from still quite an old command and control type of structure where there is so much fear. Um, and it's not like, oh, okay, we'll just embrace this new progressive radical way of working straight away. Um, I've mostly observed it to be, you know, we're really going to have to start with some small interventions.
0: Yeah. But I think the thirst for your material and just how popular the books have been suggests to me, you know, that there is this huge appetite, this pent up atti- appetite, almost in individuals. It's just, how do I create the system uh, around me that allows me? I to think be in that, the, um, you
2: know, we, mm. we tapped into a zeitgeist and a feeling and the difference has been the level of honesty. And and you can kind of see that you asking, you know, Alex is you know, the biggest kind of turnaround in her. And I think there's a, there's a real truth that you know work is a pretense more often than not and we have to try to show up looking like we know what we're doing and that's been the case as Alex said like from school this is kind of this thing we're socialized into and the norm and, and the real the truth of work is it's not where we're supposed to go to be human you know there's no one listening to this call or if they're if there, if this podcast if there is I'll be surprised um, whose organization isn't based on the principles of scientific management, which suggests the system is more important than the human. And no one has updated that philosophy since Taylor instigated it. Nobody. And so uh, we, the, the, and we yet we know the truth of life, the real experience of life is making it up as best as you can. And so there's two, there's two, there's an incongruence. And during these sessions, I started referring to it as the kind of uh, conformity, creativity, like, paradox because most organizations 20th century the number one skill of the 21st century was going to be creativity widely agreed by work foundations and trusts around the world and very few organizations don't herald it as one of the things they aspire to yet yeah, i've never been yet in an organization that doesn't reward conformity above creativity like definitely go and take all the risks you know, fail everywhere but if you want to succeed do what you're told and, you know, and so this is an obvious lie and it's the kind of lie that children go out with, you know, <laughs> their parents want them to be a certain way, but step out of line and I'll act a certain way. What? What the fuck? And then suddenly you get to the point where you can tell the truth. And I think that's the, the, the big kind of difference in Alex is, you know, rather than we'd leave a session and we'd be talking about what was the truth, Alex now will tell the truth in a meeting. And that's, that's the next paradigm of leadership, being able to strongly, firmly, fairly, but frankly... Tell the fucking truth. And at the, mo- at the, at the moment, at most means that sounds makes you a complete weirdo.
3: <laughs> like, what? Hold on.
2: You know, because it's so against the um, etiquette very often. And, and yeah, actually, you end up being the hero and everyone's thanking you because oh, that was the information that we needed to know. And, and that, like, that ability in itself, asking difficult questions is kind of piracy 101. Uh, and then if you can land it in a way which unlocks, the, the truth in others analogues others abilities to do so and like Alex says you know sometimes it needs a bit of preparation and and uh training and, and work with your crew but ultimately
3: that's that's often the end goal changes everything feels small and is huge mm. Mm. I didn't swear Did and I? just as you're
2: you're
0: swearing okay. there Sam there's a point in the book where you talk about like the, the, the that bad language oh yeah fucking something and I, I thought that was quite profound you know you, you contrasted the general corporate speak with you know real talk or bad and the importance of that and yeah it, it's part of the spell breaking isn't it of this idea that we're all get rewarded to conform and that's the way to go
1: yeah <laughs> the language thing yeah um it's it's odd um Cause i it's one of those weird things where you know that the science um backs up the idea that not speaking in jargon is more is is going to get more things done because you can actually communicate more i mean this is my my background was communications i th- i suppose i'm more i've always been really interested in that and i that's i guess another part of being more pirate that just fascinates me the idea of the story is the framework for that enables people to really do stuff but yeah the I, the of course if you speak in really complicated sentences um you know people will lose the sense of what you're really saying and and I and the thing that gets me is the vagaries um of like what are we really what are we really getting at here and yet it is just just everywhere <laughs> um especially I mean yes, the background that I'd come from which was you know think tanks and charities um where you know you're talking of, and and you know you could, you're talking about how to change, and then, on the flip side, that you're confusing people um and i yeah I really I just wanted to take a stand against that, and I have done for a really long time um and in fact, I should have bought, broken more rules around it when i was um when I had the chance, i suppose but but didn't, and now I just tell other people to do it, but um, yeah, this idea of cognitive overload uh you know is um. I, re- I mean I, I see it all the time even now still. what
0: from the jargon you mean <laughs> cognitive overload from the
3: jargon yeah
1: yeah not not even i don't mean technical jargon i don't mean like where you've got a you know a legal jargon per se which is maybe maybe necessary um i mean you know when you just use lots of long i think I, in the book i say things like catalyzing and leveraging and and um you know the quote was like the, the systematization of everything and and okay fundamentally most you know taking aside the kind of people who are interested in management books and business books, which is a really small proportion of people and that, and that's key mm. compared to the general workforce. Um, what do we, th- what do we even think as a system? Okay. Cause we just talk about these things like they're like, it's a given and it's not. And uh, that's a really, you know, you need, you need to break it down. I often find um, and really, dig into what do we mean by those words before we even start to get to a, a point of figuring out what we're going to change so <laughs> yeah and I think the example in the book that's given is from a human rights charity that um was finding that using vague language um was really obstructive to human rights because it actually you know vague language is weak and people were it enables you to um be less firm about human rights issues um and feel like they're less important than they are um and we i mean we don't prescribe swearing as the antidote but sometimes it is more effective and uh <laughs> can be a way to to grab people's attention um, I, I think we know that, you know that complacency the
2: a lot of work speak is deliberately designed to dehumanize things we wouldn't make the decisions that we do that have a negative impact on the world around us if we talked oh, yeah. about it in terms of our lives and our homes and our children and the things that we actually did but because we create these proxies then there's all sorts of walls in between them and we can just refer to the fucking data and like whatever else it is the terminology distances us as human beings as as we've done so with many other of the means of production if we actually had the shit on our hands of the decisions that we had to deal with or the or the outputs of our work or the real lives of, of others we'd make vastly different decisions and it's difficult because we're human beings and so we communicate through patterns and we need necessary shorthands and you know there's, uh, there's hundreds of useful words that we'd be able to say to each other now which would forge the kind of connections that we want to get to but the ones within work are, are what we've begun to term as rules the, and those you know through the process of this they're the rules that really
3: need really need challenging sorry did I swear again
1: <laughs> no <laughs> i was just think, I was just thinking of one example that I was talking about somebody this morning um, social prescribing as a way for explaining that there are social um, you know there are there are social reasons why a person might be unwell and therefore there are social solutions to why a person um, you know i'm sure you know this already richard, but uh, that that term social prescribing i mean you wouldn't know what it meant um, if you just saw it. Mm. Whereas you know it's it's quite it's I suppose quite a human premise, um, and yet you found yeah, a really yeah hands up everybody who
2: sat in a meeting where someone's used some absolute nonsense jargon and, and which, not yeah. not felt able to ask what what are you talking about <laughs> with your what race, and and there we are and suddenly you're locked into this system of you know let's not call it lies but certainly near pretense that we then you know uh, inadvertently continue to prop up
3: and then we show up pretending to. That we know what we're doing you know it's a house of cards yeah the other thing it links to and i had somebody you talked about self-managing organizations
0: alex but we had a recent guest who, who's a big proponent of those and talks about one of the differences in those organizations is people show up with their whole bodies and this idea of embodiment and i think if you start to speak from your body almost like from your heart from your gut and from your head you, you're not going to you necessarily use those words and sometimes you might come out with a swear word or you might but you're going to tend to come out with if you're you know if you're grounded you're going to come up with more grounded language so I think there's there's something about that as well right it's you know that that style of language keeps us up here
1: absolutely and that's the shift isn't it what are you showing up so that other people think you're smart or are you showing up because what you're going to do will actually make a difference? Um, I definitely have been guilty of the, I want people to think I'm smart and to hell with what happens next after this meeting, frankly. Um, uh, so, <laughs> and, that, and that that is a, that is a shift. Um, uh, yeah, the idea of the whole bringing your whole self into work, um, you know, it's Lalu, isn't it really? Um, talking about but then I I always feel that yes I 100% agree and it comes back it will always come back down to what are the interventions that will allow us to really really do that um we talk about it we agree that it's a good thing but then we don't really make the effort to make those things you know true um and you know it's it's all the small things like we talked about just then like you can restructure your meetings to change power dynamics um really paying attention to that sort of thing um all the little things that go on every day and the bigger things um i think i think these are the, think this, is, this is exactly this is exactly where it, where it begins this this funny. notion
2: because <laughs> what we're talking about here you know is intellectualized answers to very human problems and we can overintellect like, like I like to say that you know the danger of smart people is making things more complicated. Yeah. And the, being able to say I don't know what to do is really only the ever the most truthful answer there is. Um, but that's not acceptable. So then you make stuff up, fudge it in between, and then all of all of a sudden we're we're basing this on someone who thinks they oh, I think they know what they're talking about, they want to do that. Um and that's really dangerous because you know, Alex's notion earlier on when she said it in her past life, feeling like nothing changes. You know, if you look at the big changes of history, it is when public opinion changes it, like the large scale. If you want to look at like singular policy issues like drink driving or mass movements like civil rights, they're never led by government. Never, ever. Like I can't think of one. Sometimes there's a senior politician. Sometimes there's a influential person, but it's only when public opinion hits a certain tipping point that then those other institutions have to give sway. And they might not give all the sway that's necessary as we're still fighting on on many of those fights anyway. So that notion of human beings going on a journey, the language of it is essential. You have to believe in it, you know, to trust yourself that this is something that, oh, actually, I am on board with this because that groundswell of Mm -hmm. public opinion then leads. always starts. It's the cliche of the small groups is the thing that changed the world, but it damn well is. And it's upon that small group to be able to communicate its ideas in ways that others can trust, believe in, understand, comprehend and continue to share. And we'll see that, you know, over over the coming years, you know, will public opinion hit a tipping point around something like climate? I'd say probably, but it will take something even more horrible than has already happened to some people for that tipping point to take place. And then all of a sudden, we'll get to that place. It's not going to be because we're led there. It's going to be because ideas like this and conversations like this reach a certain tenor and
3: probably mm. tenacity yeah yeah change is always human it
2: starts change is always human It's it those, human. Group, those it's crews, never systemic speak, the system will always protect itself again. and yeah.
3: puke more process all over itself and that forces its inability to change
1: absolutely absolutely and and that's again the frustration with um with i don't know i guess organizations that are trying to talk about change even if we just talk about charities even that they, they sort of protect the status quo in a way and um and so you end up with ta- leading and talking about change with from a fa- from a point of of not that from not the human point but from the factual perspective you know you'll present with a list of data or And not to say that that's not invaluable you you know you want to have the data to back it up but what you if you're really there to to move people and to to change public opinion or even let's say public let's just say your team opinion um what do you what have you got to leave lead with um and i haven't i rarely rarely have seen examples where people will say okay i'm going to lead with um you know the story that will will move people enough to believe in something different and that's what I think Be More Pirate does. Um you know, the the power of um presenting a different you know, a totally different um spin on you know these, these historical pirates and their, them as social revolutionaries and not villains is so um eye opening because it, it it shows the um how the establishment covered up truth and I think that really is you know feels quite shocking to people um but yeah i i i think the Mm. it it is small groups but it's also the framing and the story um and how and how that's presented yeah yeah
0: and the other thing you talk about we've touched on it a little bit in the in the podcast and i know we're getting to the end of our time but which i really liked and resonated with this with uh, this idea of rule breaking because that seemed really pragmatic right you as you say you talk about systems and cultures and all the rest of it but a lot of it boils down to the rules that i have to abide by right and if i start with identifying a rule that i'm prepared to break or maybe my crew correct collectively is going to commit to break that's one way of dealing with this a big amorphous thing that is the system that can start to change the world i i, I liked that as a as alex a pragmatic place the
2: idea start. of uh, i started saying it in some of the sessions yeah. after being part about professional rule breaking which takes that idea that it's it's the thing we've got to do and alex kind of sums up the journey that we've been on for me she took this kind of like slightly raw idea of something i'd observed and i now quote alex um when she says that professional rule breaking has moved
3: from being the risky thing that it seems to do to being the only responsible lever of change left right
1: yeah just because i I, it was merely from the idea that um I didn't think that any of the usual levers of change that I was seeing, things like, you know, you sign a petition, you I don't know, give to a charity to stop a problem. Um, what else? You can protest something. Like none of those things had really changed anything large scale that I could see. You know, charities will put plasters on things, they will alleviate what the system is generating. A petition, you know. Rare, like like we you know look at the big things like the brexit petition i mean not that that's necessarily the right way to go i'm not going to say that but you, you know even think about the protest for the iraq war that, that wasn't the biggest protest we ever had and we still went to war so i was like well where is the lever of change where where is it somewhere there is something and i feel that you've got to be close to the problem and so it's the people inside an organisation who are who are sitting on the lever pretty much they've got to be the ones to go no like this is i'm not doing that or and obviously there's a yeah a big spectrum on which you can do it but if but and and that's the thing that also in the way that i was seeing having come from the charity sector that you when you're trying to you know you're solving a problem over there by giving money there's such a disconnect between you and the thing really you're like okay i'm just going to kind of alleviate my guilt and i'm not really involved with it whereas when you're in the in with the work you get the you get the feeling and the empowerment of like I am that change like I am it, um, and so I think that flip side of the fear of it is so good when you do it.
0: Mm. That's why yeah. it's
1: so powerful.
0: Yeah, that's right. Okay, I know we're at time, uh, so thank you so much uh, for sharing uh, your stories from from the latest book, How to Be More Pirates. We'll put links to the books uh, in the descriptions below and you know, how people can can sign up to the. To the movement um, for anybody out there. You, both of the books are great. You know, the second book, especially if you just want sort of practical clues on where to start, uh, ideas on where to start, it, it's fantastic. If you if you want to create your own rebel uh, insurrection inside your companies, um, then uh, then uh, do do look to these. Thank you, Richard. Books Thank you for listening. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Alex. Thank uh, Thank you. Ta ta. Bye bye.